Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. We've got a great program for you today. I'm speaking with Jenny Linda Clerk about her new book, Five Puritan Women, Portraits of Faith and Love. In this book, Jenny Linda Clerk retells the stories of five Puritan women showing how their stories of faith, suffering, and strength provide practical wisdom for the home and the church today. Their lives and writings encourage the beauty of holy living as we see their influence not only in their homes, but also in areas such as education, business, medicine, and politics. Through their stories, you will be better able to understand your own story and see yourself as part of the history of faithful believers who have gone before you. And joining me to talk about her book is Dr. Jenny Lynn DeClerc. She works as a book editor at Crossway, has multiple degrees in church history and historical theology, including a PhD from our very own Midwest Baptist Theological <laughs> Seminary. She specializes in Puritan spirituality, writes lots of articles for lots of places, and lives in British Columbia. How are you, Jenny Lynn? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on, Jared. It's nice to see you. Yeah. What's the, um, what's the weather like in British Columbia right now? It's I'm assuming you're there as always. I am there. And okay, it's, what does that mean? As always, always beautiful. Um, I mean, it's <laughs> it's spring. It's sunny. It's a little overcast. Okay, <laughs> it's all right. Nice here. <laughs> okay, what's the temperature? That's what I want to know. Is it cold oh, there or no? What's the temperature? I don't even know. Oh. Like probably okay. like. <laughs> you just don't. This is, this is a problematic question. It's like probably like 12 degrees, but that's Celsius. And I do that's not Celsius. know how to convert to Fahrenheit in my head. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Yeah. The whole, Maybe we were in a, uh, <laughs> it's, it's wife, sweater weather. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. My wife and I were in Australia last week and they do Celsius as well. So every time oh, they would nice. say, you know, I'm like, I don't know what that means. I'm going to have to like. <laughs> I know. That's the one thing that I never have any idea when I'm like chatting with my colleagues at Crossway and they're talking about the weather and I just nod and smile and I'm like, oh, yes, I'll pretend I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so when they say something like, oh, it's 68 degrees outside, does that, that sounds very, very hot to yeah, you. Yeah, I literally, that does not compute. I have no idea. I, okay. I have to Google it. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. L let's talk about um, five Puritan women. I guess my first question is really like, what's the inspiration behind, because this book is really the, the outgrowth, it's the fruit of your research studies. I think your personal passion, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, definitely. What's the origin of that per se? And then how did that sort of give way to this book? Yeah, totally. It's a good question. I, uh, well, I started getting into the Puritans during my, I guess, undergrad, the end of my undergrad. And yeah, once, once I discovered John Owen, I just stuck there for a long time. And okay. I was like, why do I have to read anyone else? I mean, I've discovered the greatest theologian of all time. This is great. So I got very into the Puritans, kept going with my master's degree and then started my PhD. And at that time I was working at Regent College with their rare books collection in the library. And one day my uh, supervisor 
Dr. Cindy Alders came into my office and said, why don't you like curate a display about Puritan women? And I said, oh, of course, great idea. I'll get right on that. And then the minute she left the office, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so embarrassed. I have no idea. Like it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, I literally don't know one name of a Puritan woman, which I'm sure comes as a shock to you guys. I keep finding out from American podcasters and friends and authors that all of you learned about Anne Bradstreet in like elementary school or high school or something. So I didn't even know Anne Bradstreet as a Canadian. Um, and uh, so immediately I, I started to do some library research and figure out like, do we know any of them? Who are they? Uh, what's their story? And the minute I started reading them, I just totally fell in love, which isn't a total surprise because I was already reading all of the male Puritans at that point and having a great time. And then, like I said, at that at that time, I was working on my PhD. And so I was doing tons of lectures and I started adding Puritan women to things that I was writing about, places I was teaching at, and everyone loved it. They would always come up to me and say, what else can I read? But usually it was not someone who is looking for like technical <laughs> articles about, you know, whatever. And so I never knew what to say. There one sort of popular level book on Anne Bradstreet and that's about it by uh, Heidi Nichols. And so I didn't really know where to point them. And the more that started happening, the more I thought, huh, maybe this book should exist. <laughs> you know, a fun, accessible read that sort of, you know, connects people with questions they have about the Christian life and just learning from the Puritans about spirituality, which is sort of their main strength. So uh, that's where it all started. And then I forced myself to put it off until I finished my PhD because I thought it's probably not a good idea to write a book when you're trying to write a dissertation. Right. <laughs> and yeah, so literally like two weeks after I graduated, I was working on my proposal, super excited to get going on this book. <laughs> I want to talk through each of the women that you cover in your book. I'll just briefly yeah. give their names Agnes Beaumont, Lucy Hutchinson, Mary Rich, Anne Bradstreet, of course, and Lady Brilliana Harley. I, I hope yep. I'm saying her first name correctly. She's not around to correct me if I'm not. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but before we do that, why Puritans? Like what grounds your interest there? What's so special about the Puritans and your interest in them? Yeah. Well, when I first read a John Owen book, the reason that I was so drawn to it was because I at that point had been just recently introduced to the field of theology in university. Didn't know that existed before. I hadn't been a Christian for long at that point. So everything was new to me. And I kind of felt like I, I was having a great time. But at the same time, the theologians I was learning about, the movements I was learning about, weren't really connecting with my personal questions about sort of Christian living, practical stuff. And then when I read Owen, I felt like, oh, this is someone who is actually addressing what I <laughs> am interested in on a personal level and sort of speaking to questions that I have and things that I'm interested in. And so, yeah, that's what drew them to me at the beginning. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people is they're drawn to the Puritans because of their deep spirituality. They were, you know, so deeply entrenched in scripture, but at the same time, also had a lot of knowledge about human nature and sort of brought those two together and, and have some really rich thoughts about, you know, how theology works out in real life. Yeah. I mean, is there something in particular that for Christians today, like, what is it that we 
should learn, especially from Puritans? What is it maybe that's, I don't know, maybe not missing, but is, is there something that the Puritans provide that Christians, in particular evangelicals today, could use a good concentrated study yeah. on or reflection on? Oh man, there's this probably sounds like a cop out, but there's probably like <laughs> five trillion things, okay. which is part wow. of why, you know, that's part of why I enjoy studying spirituality is you're talking about theology ideas, you know, big ideas worked out in the specifics of real life, which is different for every person and, and so specific and unique. And so there's kind of like an endless amount of things we could talk about. It could just be anything, you know, but something that I, I maybe a more general thing that I think all of us could learn a lot from the Puritans is, is finding sort of a balance between solemnity and seriousness in our relationship with God, sort of reverence for God, but then also at the same time, having this genuine, intimate, personal relationship with him that sort of doesn't hide anything, any of the embarrassing things or the bad things or any of that. I think that the Puritans were just so good at holding those two together instead of accidentally, you know, becoming so far on the one side that you're, you're now afraid of God and you don't want to be close to him because he's so far above you and so amazing and you're so horrible. So, you know, what's even the point? You should just stay away from God because he's angry at you and hates you <laughs> or, you know, falling too far on the other side, like Jesus is my boyfriend stuff <laughs> right, and, right. and missing, you know, the greatness of God. So I think that's maybe a, a general thing that I've noticed in literally every single book I've ever read by a Puritan, that, that balance between those two. Yeah, you know, what What strikes me, and, you know, I'm not a scholar of the Puritans like you are, but you get the experiential Christianity that I think so many, well, so many Christians of, of my generation, at least, seem to look to like the Christian mystics or right. or others yep, for yep. that. And I'm thinking what I have found in the Puritans I've read is you get that experiential Christianity, yeah, but with you know, tethered to sound doctrine. You don't have exactly. to compromise. You don't have <laughs> yeah. to compromise your, you know, theological convictions or, or theology yeah. in general to get to yeah. an experiential faith. Yeah, 100%. Um, let's talk about Agnes Beaumont. We'll, we'll start there. Tell us a little bit about, about this Puritan woman. Yeah, so she was a young convert and she went through basically a series of like, crazy crises in her life. And at the end of it, she wrote it all down in this narrative that we have from her, which is pretty unique because she was sort of on like a lower social status. She was kind of like a country bumpkin, I guess you could say. And, <laughs> and so, you know, usually we have things written down from like rich people who have the time and the opportunity to to read and write and, and are educated and things like that. So it's a unique document in that sense. Something that I really love about it that I think in general is that she, throughout the entire narrative, she sort of talks about what it was personally like for her to be in a relationship, in a love relationship with God through this whole crazy series of events that took place in her life, which is really interesting and beautiful and, and fun to read about. <laughs> what about Mary Rich? 
Yeah, Mary Rich, uh, she became a countess when her husband unexpectedly inherited his father's estate. And so they suddenly became very wealthy. And she basically ended up becoming this really influential philanthropist in her local area. She gave away almost a third of her income to charity to a variety of causes like schools and students, suffering pastors because there was religious persecution at the time and the poor. And she wrote what is the only published book of meditations from a woman in the 17th century that we have. And yeah, I think her story is is really interesting because she went through some really sort of sad, difficult things in her private life. But publicly, she became this amazing person who cared for so many people in so many diverse ways, uh, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, you, you've got a, a subhead or a section in the chapter on Mary Rich called bending the mind. That's that's sort of intriguing to me. What is what does that mean? Bending the mind. That is uh, the section we get into about her meditations, and okay. so yeah, that was actually a phrase. If I'm remembering correctly, that was a phrase from her chaplain when he was basically giving the eulogy at her funeral, saying that she was amazing at meditation. This was what she was good at, and yeah, the Puritans defined meditation in two different ways. They talked about occasional meditations and deliberate meditations focusing one of them sort of focusing on scripture, a certain passage or a certain word or certain idea in scripture and really taking a minute to intentionally sit down and think about it, focus your mind on it. And the other one is sort of doing the same thing, but with sort of everyday life events or, you know, things you see in nature, that kind of stuff. So, (laughs) yeah. So you you write that. So she described these, her devotion as, my tedious rules for for holy living. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming tedious doesn't have quite the negative connotation back then as it would today. Well, you know what? I it probably would honestly. Okay. She was she was really honest about that, and I think this is a fun thing to talk about with the Puritans because, as you'll see, especially with Mary Rich's story, but also in the stories of the other women, they were very intense about living a godly life, pursuing holiness. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised by that. They were Puritans. That was kind of their whole thing. But at the same time, you it's sort of a shallow surface level view to to only look at that side of it. If you, you know, keep reading Mary Rich's story, you see, yes, she did have all of these rules that she made for herself. But what was the point of that? Um, First of all, yeah, rules didn't have a negative connotation tedious probably did. <laughs> okay, I think okay. that meant the same thing as it did today, but rules were kind of more just like, you know, guidelines we should follow, not like scary, mean things. But yeah, if you look at the reason why she did this, how she came, you know, her whole conversion story, how she became a Christian in the first place, all these sorts of things, you see that the whole point was she really loved God. She wanted to spend time with God. And so now this was her, she's coming up with like a method for living life in a way that you're spending the most time you can with God and becoming as close to God as, as you're able to. And so there is really a relational aspect beneath the surface level stuff of, you know, the Puritans being very intense about their godly living, which, you know, both of those are true, but we kind of have to remember why they were like that in the first place. You mentioned her, you know, drawing from observation of just the things she'd go into the woods, I guess, outside of her home, she called it the wilderness. And she would notice not just natural things, animals and 
you know, I guess the flora and, and that sort of thing. But <laughs> yeah. also just objects. She would sort of be inspired by boats and totally. wagons and yeah, things like that. I mean, what's the is it a way of just sort of taking every thought captive? Is it a way of just trying to be, you know, to thank God for everything? What's the. I guess the spiritual import of just being a noticer. In, in, yeah, in yeah. I think both of those are great, great ways of looking at it. Like I said earlier, you know, the Puritans are very into godliness, but what does that mean for them? That means being in relationship with God. And so, like you said, being constantly mindful of who God is, what he's doing in the world. They were kind of like the opposite of someone who doesn't recognize any spiritual existence whatsoever they were very focused on that that was super real for them and impacted even little things in their in their everyday life so yeah but i think i think what you said is are both great explanations um being thankful is a big thing and also just trying to see spiritual meaning in everything and and not just see the physical part of it with our physical eyes (laughs) right Okay, tell us a little bit about Anne Bradstreet. Yeah, so Anne Bradstreet uh, emigrated to New England as a newlywed with her husband and her parents. And she basically set up house and started a family there in this difficult place and became the first person, male or female, to publish a book of poetry in America. Yeah. And I mean, her poetry is really amazing. People often read it and think, wait a minute, she must have not been a Puritan to be writing about these kinds of things. Or maybe she was a really bad Puritan, or maybe she didn't want to be a Puritan. But actually, her poetry is very Puritan-esque and um, uh, really represents some of the normal internal personal experiences that, uh, you know, all people go through, like, bringing children into the world and experiencing illness and being worried about your family's well-being while they travel, all sorts of stuff. I'm looking at some sampling in, in your chapter from her poetry. Is is her poetry available? I mean, is there a, still in print yes. copies of? Yeah, definitely. The sort of scholarly standard edition is a collection edited by Janine Hensley, um, which is in the end notes if anybody wants to find that. And there were also some old, old versions as well, obviously. (laughs) She was published in her own time and in later times as, as well. And you can also find, you don't need to get the you know, most recent critical edition. You can find her poetry all over the internet, like on poetryfoundation.com and and stuff like that. Not necessarily every single one of her poems, but because obviously all of her stuff is out of copyright, there's 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 lots of free ways to find them on the internet for sure. The highlight that you sort of pull out for Bradstreet is so each of the chapters, I guess I should have said this in the outset, you have sort of a subtitle or a subject that sort of helps us understand the portrait of each of these mm. women. Just to backtrack, Agnes Beaumont, you list as daughter as evangelist using memorization. Lucy Hutchinson, mother as theologian using fellowship. Mary Rich, Countess of Warwick, is wife as philanthropist using meditation. And then for Bradstreet, have grandmother as homemaker using prayer. What's the, I guess, the unique angle there, right? Not every portrait or different portraits would would apply to different readers, right, I suppose. Right. Yeah. And I just love this idea of the grandmother homemaker 
but prayer is the is the root for her or the grounding for her yeah yeah i use that because you know if you look at a lot of her poems not all of them she sort of has you can kind of group them into two big categories of like stuff that she was sort of her intellectual poem stuff she was writing about like historical events and literature and that kind of stuff and then her personal life poems and and those personal ones where she's reflecting on like raising her kids and her relationship with her family and her experiences of illness and stuff they really do they're basic a lot of them are basically prayers some of them are written to like a child or her husband or whatever but a lot of them are written to god she's speaking to god in the poem and so that's why i i use that one for brad street there lady brianna brilliana harley yeah, yeah <laughs> i don't know yeah. if i can say her name lady brilliana harley yeah yeah that's really um and is she different because you've got her listed as so she's matriarch as physician using spiritual conversation. So she was a, uh, a professional woman. She's she a doctor or no? was not paid, okay. but she basically a, a lot of women in the 17th century, which I get into in that chapter, were kind of like the general practitioners in their family in terms of like they are responding to immediate medical situations uh, until a doctor gets there or maybe a doctor doesn't even get there. And so, you know, they're around when women are their friends and their family members, females are pregnant and they're giving birth. And when a child is sick, they're kind of the immediate caretakers who are around and prescribing things. You know, this is before <laughs> this is before, you know, lots of medicines we know about today. And so it's a lot of natural remedies <laughs> happening. But yeah, they were they were highly involved in that sort of as a role in the family, uh, which we might just sort of write off as like, oh, they were just being a mom. But it kind of went beyond that for the amount of stuff that they were involved in. And even like their relationships with doctors and conversing with them and, and making sure they pass on information and get the correct ingredients and all that kind of stuff. You know, I don't know if much has changed, at least I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but a lot of us grew up generationally with moms prescribing ginger ale, you know, for the yeah. <laughs> for the stomach ache or Absolutely. just put some Robitussin on it. You know, if you've got some <laughs> exactly, exactly rub, something. Absolutely. So I think moms are sort of the, uh, the first doctor. Totally. That, that yeah, 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 <laughs> definitely. Jenny tell us a little bit about the impact that your studies have had on you. I know, I know this book isn't your first foray into not just the Puritans, but Puritan women, but it's, this is the fruit of your interest there. And so maybe something in writing the book, but also just in general, your study of the Puritans and your expertise there. Yeah. What's the spiritual impact on, on yourself? This isn't just an academic thing. Yeah. You I know it's, it has devotional import. I know it has spiritual mm-hmm. impact for you. How have your studies on the Puritans, on Puritan women, impacted you uh, devotionally in terms of your discipleship? Yeah, totally. I mean, there are so many. Again, this is kind of 
the thing about Christian lifestyle. There are so many tiny, tiny little details I could talk about uh, ways that specific things in their stories really impacted my personal life, whether it was like something similar or, you know, something a family member was going through who I'm close to or something like that. But yeah, I mean, there's there are so many, so many things. This is the first time really that, you know, I, I had I don't want to say that in my entire education, we never talked about women in church history, but they definitely were not the focal point, um, which partly is understandable. Like when you're learning things for the first time, you need to learn about the most important figures. At, you know, you can't skip Augustine and Aquinas and Luther and, and all these people. Right. And you only have so much time to talk about this stuff and and so much brain power as someone who's learning for the first time. So I don't necessarily say that in a judgmental way, but I think that was kind of my experience overall. So it was really exciting to do a very deep dive and, you know, read every single primary source and every single secondary source on all these women. Something that I've been thinking about recently, one of the ways that it's impacted me is, is sort of, it, it sounds very cheesy. It almost sounds like not like a little lesson I would give to like high school girls or something, but it's totally true for me, even as, you know, a 31 year old woman now. <laughs> but I think they've studying these specific stories has, has made me sort of have more acceptance and compassion for myself and see that like, wow, God really is using all of us just the way we are, our specific personalities, our specific strengths and weaknesses. And we don't necessarily need to change those things. I mean, obviously, when we're talking about sin, we definitely need to change that. But just in terms of neutral stuff, you know, I, I think we we don't need to compare ourselves to other people. Oh, I wish if only I was, you know, had a bigger platform or I was more athletic or I was smarter or, you know, whatever it is. All of those those thoughts are just so unhelpful and downplay the amazing, super ultra specific ways that God is working in every single one of our lives and taking care of us and using us uh, to do good in the world around us. So. Yeah. So somebody picks up the book. Um, you want them to be to get a little education. Of course, they'd have some historical <laughs> background that they don't have. Yep. What are your hopes for the book on, you know, a wider readership beyond that? What do you what do you hope that it will do in the heart and not just the mind of those who read? Um, I hope that, you know, most people who read it, especially women, will find something in these stories to connect with, see their own lives in the lives of these women and, mm. and just feel sort of like seen and appreciated and understood. Again, that sounds really cheesy, but <laughs> that is my general, general hope. And, you know, maybe on a more specific level, I do hope that some of the lessons about godly living will connect with readers and not only, you know, maybe give them ideas for how can I live a more godly life, but even just affirm the good things that probably all of us are already doing. Like one of the things that I think I was sort of not surprised about, but realized as I was even reading, you know, about Mary Rich's tedious rules was that you know, a lot of us, if, if you really love God and you're trying to learn a little bit about God every day and spend a little bit of time with him every day, you're like 
99% of the way there and you don't need to beat yourself up for like, I don't have an hour and a half devotional time in the morning. And, you know, if if you really love God and, and you're just thinking of him throughout the day and, and trying to follow him, that's that's really the whole point. So I hope that people will also feel affirmed in, you know, even if they're in a busy time of life, maybe they have little kids and it's just not possible to, to have a really long time of Bible reading or whatever that they can realize that, oh, you know what? Things are actually good. I, I do feel close to God. You know, I might not have at this time in my life, this and this and this setup, but these are things I want to do in the future, or these are ways I'm already experiencing it now, or here's another thing that I can more easily incorporate into my life. You know, I came to biographies, particularly Christian biographies, so late in my discipleship, mm. I, I I don't know why I just wasn't interested for so long, mm. you know, read a lot of Christian nonfiction generally growing right. up and then in ministry, you know, ministry books, theology books, you mm-hmm. know, things on culture. And for whatever reason, just was not interested in biography. And when I came to pick up sort of, the, the, you know, the first few biographies that I read, I thought, I was really angry with myself for waiting for, yeah, for, right. for so long. But one of the things I think that you know, books like yours do, and and other biographies of Christians is, we're so used to thinking of them as these vaunted figures. Mm. Even even these women that we may not know about, just to hear five Puritan women, it creates an image in our head. Right, totally. But you you put us in the living rooms. You put us in you know in the backyards. You, you put us there in the ground to see what daily life was like. And it not only, I guess, makes them relatable, but it also, I think, imports from them to us what you just said, just a sense of meaningfulness about our life and about mm-hmm. our day. And just because I don't have what some renowned theologian might have or what some yeah, yeah. you know Puritan that people are still reading hundreds of years later, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, I have that reality. I can look at the world around me and see it gleaming with the resonance of of Christ's glory. And so I'm thankful for you opening up the door to, or I guess a window into each Mm -hmm. of these lives. I think it's really special. I think it's really helpful. So thank you for writing the book. Yeah. Thank you so much. And thanks for coming on the podcast. You have anything else in the, in the hopper, anything else that we should be looking forward to? I do have other ideas, but I actually, uh, was writing down some proposals a couple weekends ago. And then I was like, you know what, Jen, you need a break. You need okay. to take a break for just a couple of months. <laughs> so yeah. well, you, uh, hopefully something in the future based on, you know, other research I've done about the Puritans, other ideas, but, um, but for now I'm, I'm happy to just enjoy the fruits of my labor for a bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. So when you were at Regent, do you work with, with J.I. Packer or, or no? Um, I mean, at that point, he he obviously was retired. Okay, okay. <laughs> he wasn't like in the building every day. But yes, I did have the privilege of being able to meet with him various times. I interviewed him at one point And yeah, it was it was super special. I mean, at that point, he was my favorite living theologian. And so it was just totally um crazy to be able to meet him and chat with him about the Puritans. Um, So yeah, that was an unreal experience. So much fun. 
Yeah, I've got one great Giant Packer story, but I'll, oh, I'll save that for another time. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm envious of yours. Uh, we've been talking to Dr. Jenny Linda Clark, and her book is called Five Puritan Women, Portraits of Faith and Love. It's available now from Crossway Books. You can pick that up wherever good books are sold. And as always, dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.